I'm all shook up. Hello and welcome to Chosen by Committee, the podcast where myself, Josh Heron, Christopher Munden, and John Rosenberg read through every Pulitzer Prize winning play since 1918 so you don't have to. Or you'll join us and read along with us. My name is Josh Heron. I am a third grade teacher on Christmas break, winter break, woohoo. Um, and I just turned 30 on Friday. And I'm feeling dirty, flirty, 30, and thriving. Um, and it's old. Yeah, and I'm joined by old man Munden. Um, <laughs> I told him I was going to guess the hell they are. I think Christopher is like 40. Don't say it. 40. 29. 40, you're 43. I'm 43. And um, I know John is older than you, Christopher, but like, I think spiritually you're like 36. Oh. You're like a sexy 36. How old are you, John? How old am I? I'm 44. 44. When I'm 40, you're going to be like, like you're gonna be able to get like senior discounts at I we'll both we'll both be dead i was asked at the supermarket whether i was a senior wow it's because of the gray yeah i mean yeah the gray hair right. wearing a mask but yeah dear me um is it because your hands were shaking while you're buying alcohol? <laughs> I don't think there's a senior discount for alcohol. John, it was just rheumatism. Um, on that note, this week we are reading 1957, but really like 1940. Um, but the 1957 Pulitzer Prize winning play, Long Day's Journey Into Night, the fourth by Eugene O'Neill, I believe maybe the first posthumous um, Pulitzer Prize. Does someone want to give uh, a synopsis of A Long Day's Journey Into Night? Chris was going to give the, the synopsis of this play. And I want to see how it sounds, what I thought it was going to sound like in my head to what he says. Okay. That was different already. So it's, um, it's a single day's journey into night. In um, I didn't think life, you did not. Uh, takes place over four acts in the life of a um, Irish American family at their summer house in Connecticut. Um, they're all pretty much uh, alcoholics or drug addicts. You have the mother who we gradually discover over the course of the play has recently um, re-succumbed to um, opiate addiction. Um, we have the father who is a uh, formerly famous actor or, um, and he's a, he likes his drink as does to a greater extent his son, Jamie. Um, also an actor and drinking himself to death. Their younger son, um, Edmund. Eugene, Ed, Edmund. Yeah, but, Eugene was who he was conceived to replace. Right. He died. Um, 
and um i think in i think in real life uh it's switched like uh eugene o'neill is basically the edmund character and, and i think he did have a brother whose name was edmund who died mm. i may be maybe i may be wrong about that um and the younger brother who um who also likes to drink, not to the same extent, but who is, um, in the course of the play, discovers that he is sick with consumption, um, which is tuberculosis, right? Yeah, which is what um, his mother, his, his maternal grandfather died of. And again, uh, Eugene O'Neill did go to a sanatorium for consumption, which I think he caught while he was doing that, like a round the world sailing that we we heard about some in uh, Beyond the Horizon and uh, Anna Christie. Yeah, so this play is, you've alluded to it, but this play is super autobiographical. Um, I think uh, his father is was really an actor and, and the play we discover that sort of the father um, gave up artistic, like art, like deep artistic pursuits to sort of be a commercial success. Um, it doesn't name it in the play, but in real life, um, I think James O'Neill is his name. Uh, uh, Eugene O'Neill's father uh, played, it was like, I think the Count of Monte Cristo is what he played mm. for like 60,000 to 6,000 performances or something. And his older brother did drink himself to death. It's the same, same name, same character as in Eugene O'Neill's other play. Um, Moon for the Misbegotten, Jim Tyrone, and that is a Jamie Tyrone in, in this. And I think there's a story in the first act of this play about like a family, um, an Irish family, and their rich neighbor. Do you remember that story? And I think that's the same family that is in Moon for the Misbegotten. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But the thing that another thing that happened with this play, so it was written in 1940, um, and it was given as a gift to his wife, um, a sort of like an exercise. Like, the 12th wedding anniversary. Yeah, that's um, weird. Yeah, but it wasn't performed until after his death. Um, um, anyway, so that's a lot of the biographical and sort of like synopsis stuff. Um, John, what was your reaction to the play? Um, I don't like this play. <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't like this play. I, I, I remember, um, in my twenties, like when I decided I want to start writing plays, I like read a bunch of plays and I read this play and I remember being like, fuck this play, fuck these people. I don't give a fuck about them. And unfortunately, um, it's weird because I, I know that technically it's a good play. I know that like it's written well and all the pieces are there, but I just, I just don't give a fuck about this play or these people. Um, and it's funny because I, I didn't thought about why, because it's easy to be like, eh, you know, but it was interesting because I kind of thought about in a way there, there it's interesting because it is a throwback obviously, because it was written in like 1940 or 1941. And it is, it's like, and it takes place probably what, 20 years before that, if not earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a strange, I always say this word wrong, anachronistic play. Like yeah. it feels very different, yet it reminds me 
obviously if certain you know techniques whether it's the you know time just like moves forward and but it's broken up or you know i was thinking about like what's the difference between this and death of a salesman because mm -hmm. i think it's interesting of the sons because it, it, it has a lot of the same pieces whether it's like the family unit that's broken up or like lying to each other or whatever but i guess what i found so beautiful about death of a salesman is physically there's nothing wrong with them like the sons are strapping uh like pictures of american vitality and health yet there's something wrong with them inside that we can never necessarily put our fingers on this one it's just sorted and i mean i i, I remember I, i'm rambling you obviously cut this shit but i remember being like why the who the fuck cares that she's addicted to heroin or addicted to morphine who gives a fucking shit like and like all the, I, I guess the idea is that the pressure's supposed to be on her instead of the men but i just i don't care <laughs> So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you mentioned something I, I think is interesting is it was written in 1940. And like, I think if it came out then and we read it in that order, it would have been like really revelatory. Um, Possibly. But to me, there, there's also a difference to me between his earlier works, some <laughs> that really were astonishing to me and this one. And this one, there's no there's no life to it. I, I think it, it feels like it's, it, I don't know if there's no life to it. It just feels like there's like, there's no interpretation. Like it's just, I think it's so biographical and it was so much like him, I think like getting his like stuff out that it's not like, I don't think it would be, I mean, it's like, I was- Have either of you seen it live? No, I have. John? Mm -mm. I think, that makes a big difference. I think, so yeah, I mean, reading this, I had remembered really liking it. And I'm reading the first few acts and I wasn't as taken by his his stage directions. He's, he goes overboard with them. And whereas in like Tennessee Williams, that seemed to like paint the picture for me more. This like, it, it was too much almost. And I think that's because he basically never intended for it to be produced. Um, he, it was a personal thing for him. So he was writing, writing it as it's being staged in his head. Well, I do think it's interesting because he also didn't put a copyright on it. Right. So, I mean. But he, he just left it in a safe. Yeah, but like he knew it was gonna fucking happen with it after he dies. Like, well, he I think he said he didn't want it done for like fifty years, something like that. <laughs> right. It was, but there's a difference between Eugene O'Neill saying that and me saying that. Do you know what I mean? No, like, I mean, uh, who's? But wasn't there a like Mark Twain book just published because he had said he didn't want something published for a hundred years? I mean, his wife just didn't. Or certainly. someone, his think, estate were I'm, like, fuck him, he's dead, we can do what we want. Well, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, it's like, the idea is that, like, he never thought, it's not that he didn't think it was going to come to the light of day, but it... He wanted it, to be long dead. But it is interesting, what did he create? But my, I, I guess my point is, like, like, you're reading this, like, seeing, 
seeing it, seeing it, it is a lot more open for interpretation. And those are amazing roles. And 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 when by the last act, I was feeling that, and I was feeling like these characters. And I don't know. I mean, so I think. Yeah, in Death of a Salesman, there's nothing when you, when physically you wrong with those characters, but there are things wrong with people. And and what is wrong with people are like what we do to each other and in a family unit. And that's I, I, what's going on here. I don't disagree with you at all, but I, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. But Death, I mean, I think what's amazing about Death of a Salesman, and again, I benefit from having, I saw a production of it, and so maybe that gives it humanity. But like, I feel like you root for everyone, right? Like you want sort of everyone to like, you want the dad to like figure it out. You want the kids to like, you know. I didn't care for the kids so much, but yeah, I, I get that. But like, I feel like, and the like the, the wife in Death of Salesman is like, just hurt. Like, I feel like, no, I don't want any, like, but sure, like that's, awesome. that's not necessarily, I mean, I think I see this, it's like a retort to all of the plays we've been reading and like the idea of like, like society is crazy, society is fucked up and, and we're just trying to deal with it. And, and this is like how I feel. Yes, society is fucked up. Yes, the world is insane and crazy, but so are the people in it. Mm. And, and they, um, Philip Locke and poem like man hands on misery to man it like that's and it goes across generations and and you see it here i mean it is like i don't know um i think i I gotta quibble with you because like i i think what's interesting about something like a cat on a hot tin roof right like it's the same it's not like it's that same thing of like people savaging people they love. You know what I mean? I think obviously the difference is, is like the structure of it is done differently. And like the reveal is different. Like it is interesting that I would imagine probably in the fifties watching this, like the mom just kind of floats in and out and it's weird. And like, I see structurally at the beginning, it's like the husband's talking so great about her. And then at times like the dad turns on the kids and it's like, Oh, but no, keep that socialist shit out or whatever. And like, they all do. They all, there's no like, they're like people as in there's no like consistent mood even in one scene. And I see it like, this is another late play like moon for the misbegotten. And, and thinking about all of the weird stuff he was doing early in his career, like if we read Anna Christie, what was that play where it's like we're hearing people's thoughts? Oh, uh, Strange Interlude. Strange Interlude. I, I saw what, Harry Ape, which is like expressionistic. Uh, Morning Becomes a Lecture, which is also like real experimental, like about death and suicide. And, and this is back to like, beyond the horizon but even more so it's just like single day there's no there's no like stylistic experimentation here he's just like one of his final plays just like and his final play is is um moon for the misbegotten he's just writing out like his own tragedies and it 
that comes so, across. Okay, so but so to me, that's that's interesting that you say that he's writing out his own tragedy. It's just really fucking stiff and bleak and like. Yeah, man. He's, he's I mean, I, I can definitely it's bleak. Definitely it's bleak and say it's it's so bleak. is Moon for the Misfigun. But I, bleak. I think it benefits from 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 acting and it benefits sure. from... I, I did see that like Brian Dennehy played the dad and at different times, you know, there's different... Uh, Catherine cars. Hepburn in the movie. Yeah, um, Dennehy was like... I, was it was Vanessa Redgrave and right? Um, so, but, so there's, a, me, there's right. a good version with Kevin Spacey as um, yeah. as Jamie. Uh, yeah. Oh, Peter Gallagher I, as Edmund. I think right. so Kevin, you 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 plug all the you plug all these great fucking actors in there, right? What are they capturing? That's the thing. That's the thing I don't get about this play. What is he capturing for us to? It's like we're watching a rich actor family at their summer home savage each other but like there's a difference to me between like rich people savaging themselves in this play and then rich people savaging themselves in cat on a hot tin roof and he's not a, attempting any i guess yeah i guess any commentary really well say i, say I disagree feels, i'm say what feels different i'm wondering about those two because I keep coming back to Death of the Salesman, and I'm like, well, it's like about I mean, we a really coming, relatable yeah. experience of like, of of having like, or <laughs> my relatable experience of having like a family with delusions of grandeur, with coming crashing down on your own expectations. Like it, this seems like they've always been like you don't like it's just a family that's been miserable forever, and like sort of hide their secret, like don't really hide their secrets, sort of just scrape by, are like just so resentful of each other. Um, like having right. moments of empathy that don't like, like I don't think, and maybe this is the point, but like no one changed, like no, I mean, people change throughout the day and that they get like- Across the course of the day, they reveal themselves. They reveal yeah. themselves. But that's just to the audience. Like those characters already like they're not revealing themselves to each other. They've all like seen how awful they all are. Like I don't even like. Right, but yeah. we get. But but that, I mean, but I, I people don't a, change. I, I don't that's know. A very, no, that's a yeah. very interesting point, though. Like that. Like if you if you have within a family unit, everyone already knows everyone's fucking secrets, and then we're watching them reveal them, but they already know all these things. Yes and no. I mean, something's so. I, oh, okay. So maybe this is, this is what I thought about earlier. Is like this to me strikes me as a play that is so fucking self-aware of itself as a play. Like this thing is so aware that they're characters and that it's driving towards something, and I think that's also why I don't fucking like it. Mm. Because in a way, cat on a hot tin roof. It's more human or whatever, but like this thing, I think this thing really thinks it's saying something, and that's what scares me about it. I don't know that it does. I mean, if it's saying something, it's that life is miserable and like, and there is no hope, which is, <laughs> which is, is fair enough. 
for these people that are Broadway stars living in their summer home. Yeah. <laughs> Life is miserable for them. And Moon for the Misbegotten, the family is... Uh, the family is that poor Irish family, and life is miserable for them too. I don't know. Like, fuck them. I'm, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder about also. Like, I mean, I think what it, something is interesting is, I'm sure, like narratives of addiction will become like much more common after this, but like, and I think are probably more of a are a thing. That's certainly in contemporary theater and certainly in contemporary movies and TV. Um, but I do think mm. that this is like, in, like, I think it's interesting in how it handles addiction. Um, yeah, it's staged. It would be written before, but staged after The Lost Weekend. I think it's Frank Capra, the play. Mm. Or Billy Wilder, maybe. One of those famous like 40s, 50s directors. Um, about uh, alcoholism, but yeah, this this is so much more nuanced and tender about that. And and I mean, maybe maybe like personally, I've known a lot of addicts. I've been close to people and seen that, and it's it feels like right. And I've also I also appreciate that, like like Edmonds. That quote of Baudelaire, like you have to be drunk on something, wine, poetry, virtue, something, but you need something to get you through. And, and that's what these people are doing. I mean, and sure, they're like, it is, I, I, um, it is like a second home. He's always complaining about how broke he is, the father. Mm -hmm. Um, Come on, but baby, this is a bad I know you know it. I mean, I know there's a lot of Shakespeare writes about kings. There's a lot of um, great literature about, like, you know, British or American upper class. Like, it's still people. That that's that's not what I'm. I'm, I'm not even venturing. To Hamlet's say. a suicidal prince. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. Like uh, that. You're not allowed to like look at the lives and, and inner lives of people like that. It's just, I just don't think this play, it's so, I guess to me, it's so stiff and sees itself as so colossal and so all encompassing. It certainly doesn't see itself colossal if you're comparing it's it to called that. It's called a long day's journey into night. Do you know what I mean? It's a four act play. Like, yeah, for me, it like, it leaves nothing left. It, it, it leaves nothing behind. Well, I also, okay. but I also think that those stakes aren't super. I don't know. Like, it's it's the life at the end. At the end, what do we know? We know that like you, uh, not Eugene Edmonds, going away maybe to die in a sanatorium. The mother, like after numerous attempts to cure her addiction, just has not. The the brother is drinking himself to death. The father is also a miserable old cunt. Like uh, we, yeah, that's how they are. But we also end that that I mean the last line striking. I mean the and writing I, is beautiful. I I think the writing like the like the 
I think like especially near the end, like you can really get lost in his his prose. Yeah, that fourth act I was just yeah, I was like, oh, this is a really good play. Um what is it? The I was in love with then I met James Tyrone and I was in love for a while. Oh <sighs> yeah. I yeah, and I don't I don't know what there what it is to, like I can totally imagine seeing this and being blown away. Um uh, yeah, I was I was ex- really excited for it and I found it to be a, a, a slog to read. I don't think it necessarily like jumps off the page. But that's like, Yeah, I I remembered really liking it when I read it even in, in my like early mid twenties when I was like in love with well, I was reading a lot of Baudelaire and, <laughs> and um, it's true and like I don't know, all of the Hemingway and uh Wait, sorry. And... This is the dude that wrote the Iceman comic, right? Yeah. Yes. What happens in that one? So it's uh, it's set in a bar. There's like a bunch of uh, of drunks, um, and they're waiting for this guy to come. And when he comes, he's like he's supposed to be like the life of the party, the money guy. He comes and he's like, I'm sober now. You guys should all quit. Oh, that's funny, man. But then it goes on and like he has killed his wife and (laughs) that's the reason he has this like newfound realization. And so some of those drunks had like kind of changed their ways, and at the end they're like, "Fuck that shit," and one of them kills himself. And um, yeah, wow, it's it's pretty good. Um, a moon for the misbegotten is the older brother in this is Jamie Jim Tyrone and Moon for the misbegotten, and he goes and visits that like poor Irish family that he's now the landlord of and um, and he he and the daughter of the family have like a, a night together and you have a, a funny old father in it so I guess what I'm wondering is is like have we really I guess we have come across like semi to very autobiographical plays right I mean I think that like there's elements of it in lots of Timothy Williams' work. Probably neither of yeah. them right. But this this one is the probably, as Christopher said, other than the Anne Frank play, is the most uh, autobiographical play, right? Yeah, I mean, he just changed the names. It's it's like I think very much. Yeah, at least that I know about, and this this I know is very autobiographical, or supposedly. I mean, he's written, he's writing it thirty years later, so. I guess I'm just wondering what he was trying to do or what he was trying to capture. Well, I, I think he was trying to, uh, I don't know, Josh, do you want to go ahead? Well, Guess I was, first. The thing is, I'm not sure that, and like I could, like this is maybe naive, but like, I, I'm not sure that this was ever intended to be, I don't know if when he wrote this, he intended for it to be produced. Like I could, I like given the like letter and the way he, like I can see, that, I think this was sort of a like, a therapeutic exercise and so i'm also wondering if like some of its failures 
as a literary work of drama, knowing that those get evened out with really great performances, um, like maybe because it like it wasn't intended to it was intended to capture something very specific as it was, and maybe that's not like what like I don't know if I I, I mean I think that's true, but I also think he's like trying to understand these people. Uh, that's his family, his brother who died. So what? His mother let, who, ask this, what understanding yeah. did you glean from this play then? That they are, that their motivations are not simple. I think you have like, um, you see the bright side and you see the reasons behind all of their destructiveness, especially the mother and the, and the older brother. So you just basically blames the father for being cheap for the baby dying, right? Still think no. I think there's a tenderness towards the father too. I mean, we get an idea of his upbringing, right? But um, the and he why, is like, but sorry, but the reason why the baby died was because it was like a cheap hotel and a cheap doctor, right? Uh, no, well, the baby died. Um, the baby died because the mother went on tour with uh, the father and left the baby with her family. And Jamie, the older brother, got measles and visited the baby and infected the baby. And the baby babies would die of measles. Okay. Right. Um, the the cheap doctor is um, after she had uh, Ed, the cheap doctor is how she got hooked on morphine. Yeah. She had troubles with her birth of um, of Edmund. So there's blame. Everyone's blaming each other. Yeah, everyone. There's so much blame in it. But like, he's not blaming anyone. I don't think he's seen that we're all to blame. Right. Well, I think he's like trying to explore how in a family you can like like these things that are sort of random or don't happen for any one reason you build up narratives to try to explain them away and, and those get codified, but um, they don't really do much to like cause any healing. They just put up walls. Yeah. That's a point. Look, I like it. I like the, uh, the fourth act when, I mean, for me, you know, plays and poetry novels have been like, I don't know, real important to like, uh my understanding of the world and just like coping with the world and i like that in in the fourth act that seems to be the case for the brothers and the family that they like understand the world can can form their thoughts about the world and capture their thoughts about the world through through poetry and through you know shakespeare quotes that and, makes and, characters relatable to me too uh, Chris, that, that they can yell Shakespeare at each other. That's how I know. That's how I know they're real ones. <laughs> and also, it, it presents a, a nice uh, portrayal of of the Irish. There you go. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> a very accurate and realistic portrayal. Um. I like. I keep wanting to be like. There must be more to talk about. Like, let's talk about the plot. But it, it, like, it really, like, there's not like the plot sort of just like lays there. It's this like, 
just this like yeah, day of like them. I, and this is a play I would totally love to see. I mean, not like this is a play you that like, I would. Well, I would. I would love to see a good production. Um, yeah, this in bad um, hands would be deadly. This generally. It's generally something to even a, a worse production, but like it's the the dissolution that I think you have to capture in the production. Like the mother has the mother she changes over the four acts and and the 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 brother getting more and more drunk and yeah. That's like, like that. I guess that's what's like that like that's what's interesting is the acting challenge is like how to like capture those states, but like they're not like they're not changing as people. They're changing as like you don't have to change as people. But the danger to me about a play like this is it's like capital A acting. It's like yeah, you know, it's an actor's play. I would think yeah. Ugh. They should ban this play. They definitely should. <laughs> I, like I, I want a list of plays that you think are dangerous. Yeah, man. Um, There's a bunch. It's, our town. It's, it's our town. Yeah. Diary Van Frank. Uh, T House of August Moon and uh, yeah, I love T House of an August Moon, man. That shit was you, you were dangerous for it. Mm. It is recorded. Um, I can't wait until you see a chorus line. And you're like, this shit. This shit is oh, dangerous. I, lo- I love chorus line shit. That's just beautiful. It's dangerous though. It makes me want to dance. <laughs> God, I'm a dancer. Dancer dances. Um, I'm so excited for the musicals coming up because I'm just going to sing. Oh, no. Um, it's not- um, what else? Who would you be? John would obviously be the father. Interesting. I, I don't... This is the one I... I, I mean, I, get, I would sort of like... I want to be... The Irish maid. I want to be Mary's dress in the fourth Mary's act. Dress. Expensive, but like put on wrong. <laughs> Um, or like her, her eyes. I uh, always liked the Eugene character and saw myself as that. He's dead. That character didn't isn't alive on stage ever. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, the dead baby is how I see myself. I mean, Edmund. Then that would be um, that would be crazy if in my my dream production in that final scene she like comes down holding oh, like a pickle jar. Of that baby, yeah, that would be crazy. I mean, we don't get to read "Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf," do we? Well, that was like your insane, like because you are so strict. But then we'd have to do an episode on at least Oklahoma and the show off. Yeah. Um, but there. Are... Oh, like, but yeah, the. I mean, I think the baby thing comes up in lots of his work, so. Yeah, I think like the that marriage too. Those you see, this vindictiveness. Um, what you is know, your dream produ- John? Do you have a dream production? It's one of those where the theater catches on fire, and all copies of this player lost. <laughs> You're an asshole. Uh, uh, you wrote you wrote a play about your family. I've written a lot of plays about my family, but to me, there's a difference. Um, this is uh, this is basically one, like, your um, the one the one with your mother and uh, 
the guy with AIDS. Right. Um, That's basically your long day's journey tonight. Big fucking difference. <laughs> big fucking difference. I guess, I guess it's just interesting to me of like, and maybe this just has to do with the person's outlook on life or something, but it's like, if you take all the sordidness or squalorness in your life and what do you make out of it? And, and what are you, what are you trying to capture? Or what are you trying to, trying to, trying to do? I don't know. I don't know I mean, what the point is. captured a lot. It's one of many plays, but. I mean, again, I think it's like, I think, yeah, I definitely don't, I don't take issue with the, like the play being written, <laughs> especially given that it was like, I think a very personal experience for him to write. Um, and I do think that like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I buy that it's something that really lives on the stage. Uh, and, and I know that given the way I like actorly performances, I'm sure I would like eat this shit up. Like, I don't know, give me like a Sherry Jones as, as a Mary and I'm just like, give them all my money. Who's Sherry Jones? Sherry Jones, isn't that who, isn't she the one who played the nun in doubt? Oh, I don't know. Lori Met- Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Meryl Streep, right? In the movie. Sherry Jones. In the movie. Mary, well, Meryl Streep would be, would do a good Mary, I'm sure. She probably has done. I don't think Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep doesn't do much like theater, and there's not a movie version of this. There is a movie version. It's Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. Thank you. Um, She was great. What would your dream production of it be? I don't know. I mean, I think the cast has to be so good. Um, What if you had to choose to drink you had to either take morphine or drink like a fifth of whiskey while watching it. Can't he do both? I mean, morphine, obviously. But maybe that's my, like, that's my immersive production. Oh, that's your immersive production. You have an IV drip of it. Or get consumption. Yeah. And then maybe by the end of the play, you like it. Uh, I bet if you gave everyone morphine, they would enjoy this play. Yeah. Long days journey. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much um, morphine was portrayed or the, the addiction. I mean, Confessions of an English Opium Eater is 1890s, I think, but that's different. All right. Well, that thing, I think this wraps it up. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to do with this one. I was so excited for it, and it is considered such a colossal work. Um, and it's I, I was, for people to write shitty plays. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think if again, if you guys had both like come in here being like, this is the best play ever. This is as good as like Oklahoma or some shit like that. Right, John, you liked fucking South Pacific and not this. It's They're insane. different. They're so different. It's insane though. 
I can't understand. Uh, it hurts me. Um, but like, I think, I think when like this, in my mind, this is like, but I'm like, this is compared to Death of a Salesman and like the Tennessee Williams plays. Yeah. And I, I would say. Picnic is better than this. Like, and it's like. I mean, Picnic was really good, but. It's just like, this is like, this is one of the ones. And it like, I guess, I guess I'm thinking of in terms of like, Capital a great game. American plays. We're right. comparing it to the the canon. I would right. say and I would say I felt the same when I was when I was reading this the first couple acts. I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be better. In the fourth act, I was like, oh, this is really good, and I do remember seeing it on stage and being absolutely blown away by it. So I don't know. Maybe it's not at the very top tier of plays, but this is a damn good. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not the worst thing. We, like, we like we read like the first two months of this project was Eugene O'Neill was the only highlight. Like, if this had been in the first two months, oh, we would have been like, mean, "Wow, this like, is actually." We read a play. like Garbo, like, and we've been very blessed. Like, even like even I mean, even tea houses, even yeah. like. Uh, yeah. Was I think a better play than this? Yeah, good. No fucking way. Um, or at least the production of it that I was in in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, I would take this over like State of the Union. I would take this over a bunch that we've heard recently. I mean, certainly any musical, but also Diary of Anne Frank. Well, in a couple weeks... Also we Tea get, House of the Ordress Moon. You're going to regret that, because in a couple weeks we get Fiorello, the musical adaptation of Fiorello LaGuardia's life that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> I think I can already categorically say I take this over that. What are uh, we reading next week? Next week is... Oh, it has such a... Look Homeward, Angel! Um, which is mm. a adaptation of a Thomas Wolfe novel, um, right. an autobiographical novel, like sort of a coming of age novel. Um, and uh, and the play is, is adapted. Do you want to guess what it's about? Yeah, um, it's adapted by uh, Ketty Frings. Hmm. Um, who What's it called again? Uh, look homeward, look, Angel. Look homeward, Angel. So I think it is an autobiographical play about an angel. It's about Mormon. It's about the Mormon prophets, and and they were they were looking to Utah. They were looking away from Utah, and his mom was like, "Look forward, look homeward, look." Yeah, that's what it's about. Um, I think it's actually Look Homeward and Hell. And it's about a, some Puerto Rican immigrants who are looking, um, looking to move to, um, to New York. Mm-hmm. And John, what do you think? I don't know, but I saw this, uh, there's like a store near here that has a, a quote of Herman Melville up that says, life is a journey homeward bound. Have you read that quote before? I thought you were going to say life is a... Life is a home. 
Oh yeah, no. I don't and know, but, play, you know yeah. but I look forward to reading it with the two of Me you. Me too. All right. Well, I did think about the last line of Great Gatsby when I was reading this. The uh, oh god, like, damn it! Even worse. <laughs> uh, Which you can look up yourself. What's the last line of Great Gatsby? I don't know if I could get it right, but it's so we beat on boats against the current. Oh, get the fuck. Born back ceaselessly into uh, the past. Good. Something like that. All right, folks. Uh, Merry Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas, John. Uh, Happy Christmas, Governor Monday. Get well soon, John. Um, yeah. Happy Christmas, yeah. Do you really say it like that? Uh, yeah, I don't so much, but yeah, that's the happy Christmas. What do you say on Boxing Day? Um, happy Boxing Day. Boxing Day. I'm working on my accent work. All right. You say happy every other holiday. Why not happy Christmas? Happy Yom Kippur. We, you actually do not say that. You say. Or no, you say good yontif, you know. Uh, all right. Uh, shalom. Shalom. Stand on my own two feet. Who do you think of when you have such luck? I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Mm-hmm.